please visit us at 2100 Noble Road in Raleigh or on the web at ebcraleigh.com. You know, as we were worshiping this morning, I, thinking about raising our, our Ebenezer for God, that's what I want to do this morning. I want to... I want us, I want to do my part in that of raising up the Ebenezer and recognize the Lord thus far, you have been, you have been with us, his people, and, and you are faithful and you will be. Uh, I think of, uh, you know, as I looked around during, during the worship time and, you know, the, the youth carrying the offering place, being willing to, to do that, uh, the, the children and the hugs before, before coming up here and, and just looking around at all the voices joined together in this tapestry of, of worship, of our offering before God. The, the leadership of the praise band, uh, Haley and her dad up here worshiping. And, uh, you know, the, the reality how it's not too different from how they must have been worshiping in Colossians, in, in, the, in Colossae years ago. That we're no different. Certainly our God's not different. If you would turn with me to Colossians chapter 1, we're going to look at verses 15 through 23. But as, as we turn there, I just don't want that to be lost on us, that this, is, this letter was written to the Colossians, the Colossian believers, that church, but, but it's also for us. It was, uh, in this passage, we're going to look at how Jesus is the author and redeemer of all of creation, the author and redeemer of, of, of the church and of our very lives. And it's an answer to the question uh, that, if you've been following around in the, the app that we've been using, that catechism question, uh, what else does Christ's death redeem? Absolutely everything. No matter how far you, you've been, wherever you are. It's an answer to Paul's question. Paul is the one God using through the Holy Spirit to pen these words um, for his church. Remember, Paul is the one on the road to Damascus that said, Who are you, Lord? And here he's going to tell us who this Lord is. And it's an answer to our question. Because how many times in the deep, dark times of, of, at night and the deserts we wander through, do we ask the same thing? Lord, who are you? Where are you in this? What's this life for? What's, what's this suffering for? What's this uh, apathy for? But knowing who Jesus is determines who we are and redefines all of those, those circumstances. Says the one who made it all, the very image of God made known to us. Surely, if, if he made it all, he can restore it all. But we can get frustrated by non-answers and being captured by lies, and that's what was going on with the Colossians. So did you know you can be captured by a, a bad idea, by a, by a lie? <laughs> And, uh, you know, I, I remember, uh, okay, I'm glad that the, the children are gone, so I'm going to tell about the first time I ran away. 
It didn't work out. It was the, the worst runaway fail of all time. I didn't run, and I didn't make it away. <laughs> I go outside my house, I'm like, that's it, I'm hitting the road. And, you know, I must have watched too many cartoons with the stick with the little knapsack on there. So I just grab my bat and put my glove on the end of it, and I walk out the door. And I wasn't that good. That wasn't going to earn me a living. <laughs> and uh, I make it all the way to the end of my yard, and I stop. I'm like, well, I, I'm running away, but I can't, I can't leave the yard, and that's a rule. <laughs> so then I, I go and I start wandering around my house, and I'd get to the glass door in the back where you could see, and I could see my parents. You know, obviously, they, they're not running after me. They know that boy's not going anywhere. He's <laughs> not that bright. <laughs> so then I run past the glass door, and then I circle around again, and oh, that glass door comes up again. But I didn't go anywhere. So I was, I was, I was captured by an idea. But we can be captured by good ideas. That was a good rule. Don't leave the yard, right? But we can be captured by terrible ideas, too. Misunderstandings. And, uh, you know, what I believe, it affected my decisions and my actions. In this case, it was a good thing, limiting me. But, but ideas have consequences. But what we believe shows in how we live our life and what we do. And how far we'll go for better or for worse. So wrong ideas can keep us where we never meant to be. We were never meant to be. Uh, so it's not, I, I want you to see that, it, to see this isn't just a, when, we, when I, I say it, try and say it as succinctly as I can, that Jesus Christ is the author and redeemer of all creation, of, of the church, and of my life. It's not just a simple fun fact or piece of Christian trivia but it's something that when you believe it, whether you believe it or not, actually absolutely transforms how you live your life, who you are and what you do. Um, I mean, for example, Judaism, they teach that Jesus is a false prophet, right? I mean, he's claiming to be God. Islam teaches that Jesus is just a prophet. Uh, the Watchtower Society uh, the Jehovah's Witnesses, as they call themselves, say that Jesus is a, a created being, an angel, the first created being. Mormonism, that Jesus is a God, though a created being. That there's innumerable gods, and maybe you too, if you are good enough, can, can attain such heights yourself. Syncretism. Just collecting a little bit of all these different ideas, syncing them up into trying, trying to fit them together. But that doesn't work. There's got to be compromise. And what's compromised is the, the true identity of who Jesus is. The actual transforming power of Christ. We ignore that. Skepticism. You know, the, the real Jesus is lost to history. And my ignorance is almost lifted up like a virtue. I can't know. You can't know. Don't claim you could know. What can we really know? Well, I'm here this morning raising up my Ebenezer, telling you that there's, there's a lot that we can know about Jesus. And that's why we need to look at Paul's letter, not, not as just a, something written a long time ago to Colossians, to, to this group of people in a far-off culture, um, 
separated in time and, and circumstance from us. But no, this is something that, that we're going through because what the Colossians were facing was all these different ideas of, of what was true coming in and competing and, and attempting to, to distort the gospel. And Paul's saying, no, 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 no. No, you've, you've heard the gospel. You know this truth. And let me remind you. And so he's going to remind us this morning too. So let's examine and see what these ideas that have consequences, uh, what the, if, if these consequences are being had in our life, you know, are, are, are we uh, trusting in faith that Jesus is the author and redeemer, and is that showing in our life? So the main idea, the main, main problems that he's addressing, you know, we don't really know exactly. Uh, he's saying not, not to be captured by these false worldviews, and he's saying that uh, to be captured and bound to the truth about who Jesus is, or we might look elsewhere in Paul and see, think about it and say it this way in Romans uh, 12 to do not be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Um, so there's support throughout Colossians, though, that the church's faith is being challenged, and there was a battle for their minds and hearts, just as there is today for ours. Um, so let's... Uh, Let's look at what, what he says about what these challenges are. He says uh, in 2.4, I say this so that no one will delude you with persuasive argument. Uh, so don't, don't we have pers- competing persuasive arguments leading us away from Christ today? Yes, of course. Uh, Paul countered them by emphasizing the identity of Jesus. Um, and I'm just going to run through a bunch of these real quick. So forgive me if I read a little too much, but you might... You might jump around and just kind of glance at it with me. He says, uh, I rejoice to see in 2.5b the stability of your faith in Christ. So that's, that's the cure. Who is Christ and have your, the stability of... He, he holds... The, the answer to these competing worldviews is he's holding up who Christ is. So in Colossians 2.8, he says, See to it that no one takes you captive through philosophy and empty deception according to the tradition of men according to the principles of the world, rather than according to Christ. And 2.16 to 17, Therefore no one is to act as your judge in regard to food or drink or in respect to festival or new moon or Sabbath day, things which are a mere shadow of what is to come, but the substance, uh, literally their body, so the body is, belongs to Christ. These things were the shadow. Christ is the actual body. 2.18, let no one keep defrauding you of your prize, delighting in self-abasement and the worship of angels, and taking his stand on visions which he have seen and inflated by, without cause by his fleshly mind, not holding fast to the head. So you see this juxtaposition of the fleshly mind of these answers instead of the head, which is Christ. And are we connected to that head? Not holding fast to the head, which from the entire body being supplied and held together by the joints and ligaments, literally bonds bound to the head, grows with a, a growth which is from God. If you have died with Christ to the elementary principles of this world, why is it are you living in the world? Uh, do, not, do you submit yourself uh, to decrees such as do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, which, all things, which refer to things which are destined to perish with use? in accordance with the commandments and teachings of men. These are matters which have, to be sure, the appearance of wisdom and self-made religion, 
uh, self-abasement, severe treatment of the body, but of no value in fleshly indulgence, and no value to combat the fleshly indulgence. Re- no value for the real problems that we, that we have. Um, he continues, rather, Colossians 3.2, set your mind on things above, as Liesl read for us, uh, not on the things that are on the earth. Rather, set your mind on according to Christ. So, all right, we got through that. The context is confronting false belief with the preeminence of who Christ is, and we have our modern equivalents. Beware of the vain philosophy. Beware of worship of angels, false visions. Beware of inflated fleshly mind, not holding fast to Christ. Beware of empty traditions of the Jews. Beware of the, of the mere appearance of wisdom with no true value to save. Beware of thinking that it is not according to Christ. So we're to take every thought captive and with it its accompanying emotion and tr- change our thinking, be transformed by Christ's thoughts, thinking after him, and allow that to change our, or transform our hearts. Jesus is the author and the redeemer of all creation. So we're going to look at how Jesus is the author of creation Jesus is the author of the church. Jesus, Jesus is the redeemer of the church and all of creation. And Jesus is the author and redeemer of your life. So uh, let's, let's jump into it. Verse 15 to 17. Jesus is the author of all creation. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. He's the image of the invisible God. Have you ever thought of the wonder of language? I mean, the incredible... Uh, Ness <laughs> of uh, that I can I can attempt to put maybe this morning, but I can put words uh, to my thoughts, send them out, and someone else can catch them, and then it, it's transferred into their mind, and they can understand what's going on in my head, right? And we can do the same thing to communicate with one another. But verbally, we can write it out. It's, it's possible because these sounds and markings are a common medium, right? Well, Jesus is the image of the invisible God, right? He is, he is a common medium where something unknowable and, and, and beyond our comprehension is now made known to us. Uh, God is made known to us through Christ. He's the image of the invisible God. Uh, he is uh, one with God while distinct in personhood. But Jesus is God. Colossians 2.9 supports the same. For in him, all the fullness of the deity dwells in bodily form. Uh, and later we'll look in 119. For it is with the Father's good pleasure for all the fullness to dwell in him. All the fullness of the deity represented in flesh and blood before us in Christ. One commentary put it this way, as the image of God, Christ is an exact as well as visible representation of God, illuminating God's essence, illuminating, making known the essence of God. You know, apart from Christ, we have his creation. We can know something of him by what's been made. Romans 1 tells us that. Paul writes about that, right? That uh, we see his, his divine power and his eternal nature through, through creation so that we're, not, we're without excuse that there is a God and he is there. And we know something about him. But Jesus shows us his righteousness, 
His love, His holiness, His wisdom, His power, His compassion, and His love. A written language or sign language, it's a physical representation of invisible information. And Jesus is this visible representation illuminating the invisible essence of God, the invisible God. But because the the divinity of Christ is something that's so important, here's just seven quick examples from Scripture that support this. Um, So Jesus asserts his, his deity before the Jews, right? So in, in John 10, 22 to 31, uh, he's at the time of this feast, the dedication of Jerusalem. It's winter. Jesus is walking up to the temple of the portico of Solomon. The Jews then gather around him. They're saying to him, how long will you keep us in suspense? If you're the Christ, just tell us plainly. And Jesus said to them, I've told you, and you do not believe. The works that I do in my Father's name, these testify to me. But you do not believe because you are not of my sheep. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. And I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. No one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father, who has given them to me, is greater than all, and no one was able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and the Father are one. Then the Jews picked up stones again to stone him. So in this passage, we see Jesus says that he had already testified to being the Christ. And what that means is Jesus' hand is equated with the Father's hand. He's saying that that they are one. He reiterates that he and the Father are one. And the Jews understood the significance of his claim because they picked up stones to stone him. Moving on, John 12, 45. He who has seen me sees the one who sent me. He's the image of the Father. John 14, 8 to 9, responding to Philip, he says, uh, Philip says to him, Lord, show us the Father, and it is enough for us. Jesus said to him, Have I not been with you so long, and yet you have not come to know me, Philip? He who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, Show us the Father? Distinct yet part of the Godhead. Acts 2, 14 to 21. And this is an interesting one. So Peter's it's his sermon at Pentecost. Right, so he's quoting the book of Joel. And he says in part of that quotation during this sermon, before these people who are, who are then cut to the heart, cut to the quick, and they say, they respond, what must we do to be saved? Part of that sermon, he's quoting Joel, and he says, the sun will be turned to darkness, the moon into blood, before the great and glorious day of the Lord shall come. And it shall be that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. And when they respond, what shall we do? Recognize that they had just crucified the Son of God. What shall we do to be saved? Peter responds, Peter tells the people, they must repent and be baptized into the name of Jesus Christ. Everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Book of Joel, Old Testament, Yahweh. What must we do to be saved? Place your faith in the name of Jesus Christ. Call upon Jesus Christ. Romans has another interesting illustration. He says uh, in chapter 5, 7 to 8, For one will hardly die for a righteous man, though perhaps for the good man someone would dare even to die. But God demonstrates his own love toward us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Do you see the parallel set up here? That 
what is set parallel to God is that Jesus died for us, that God shows his love for us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Um, maybe for, for a good man, someone might dare to die. God gave his life when Jesus died on the cross. It's very interesting. The resolution that Christ is part of the Godhead, divine. He's, his death is somehow God's dying for us and shedding his blood on the cross. We also see throughout the epistles, they're they are constantly introducing themselves, coupling, you know, I am the, the bondservant bond of, of God and the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, don't you see the, the craziness that if I was to say, you know, I'm, I'm the bondservant of, of God and of Spencer or, or Matt. You know, I mean, the, the glory around that coupling is, is amazing. And we see in Revelation, it depicts the lamb in the midst of the throne, coupled with God in, in glory on the throne. The lamb victorious is slain on the throne of God. So Jesus is the image of the invisible God. It's a divine claim. It's a statement of, of who God is, or who Jesus is. He's the firstborn of all creation. Oh, wait a minute. Do we have a contradiction now? Is this, it's an apparent contradiction, right? That we, he's the image of the invisible God, somehow making this divine claim here. But he's firstborn? Is he, as some claim, a, a created being, an, an angel or, or something less? No, but it's a, it's a statement of his title and authority. It's signifying rights and privileges, leadership, authority. Uh, Hebrews 12, uh, 12, 16, we see Esau sold his birthright, his firstborn status. And so we have an example here that it's something that can be distinct and detached from the physical firstborn. We see in Jeremiah 31, 9, C, the end of that, that verse, for I am a father to Israel, and Ephraim is my firstborn. But Jacob wasn't the physical firstborn, and Ephraim was born to, uh, after Manasseh. So what does this scripture mean? You know, Psalm 89, 27 uh, says, I shall make him my firstborn, the highest of the kings of the earth. If it's, not, if, if it's of David, he was born last, and if it's of David, he was born to Jesse. But God's making, in this passage, this him, him, his firstborn. And regardless it's of, if it's of David or prophetic about Israel, it's, a it's showing it to be a title of authority. The sense, therefore, is Jesus is the firstborn over all creation. That he, he has the, the firstborn rights over leading everything. All that is, is created. Jesus has eternal authority over all creation. So he is the image of the invisible God, and he's the firstborn of all creation. All creation exists and consists in, through, and for him from the beginning. And for that, we continue in verse 16. For, for by or in him, you might have it there in your version, all things were created, both in the heavens and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. And... Some scholars uh, detect a, a poetic structure going on in here, and, and this, is, this is interesting. It, they, some believe that Paul is pointing us back to Genesis, where the first word in the book of Genesis, the first word in Scripture, is in the beginning, and it's a combination of in and beginning, that, and one word. 
And in can be translated into the Greek in multiple ways, including in, through, and for. And here in this verse, we have all three of these. Like For in him, all things were created, both the heavens and the earth, though whether thrones or dominions, rulers or powers, all things were created through him and for him. And we also see beginning, uh, it, which can be translated into the Greek in various forms, listed here in these, this and the following verse or two. Uh, he's the beginning, Christ is the beginning of all things. It could be translated sum total. In him all things hold together. He is the head, and we see him being the head throughout this letter. He's the head of the body. Uh, the first fruits, the beginning could be first fruits, that he is the firstborn among the dead. So if this is true, then Genesis also says, um, let us make man in our image. And Jesus is the image of the invisible God, so we are made in his image. In him, we were created. That's interesting. Could be. It, it, whether it is or is not, it's emphasizing the, the same point. That's the simple reading of the, of the text, that Jesus is the author of all of creation. Jesus was there and participated oh, in the creation of everything, when, when God, the Spirit of God, hovered over the formless void at the dawn of creation, over the waste and emptiness and the darkness, when God said, let there be light. You know, he was there. And that same God, this is important because that same God hovers over our emptiness and brokenness and says, let there be light. Let the light so shine in, in, in our hearts. Um, he desires to bring us into the inheritance of the light. He desires to bring life to our waste, the emptiness, darkness. He desires us to walk in that light. Two, Colossians 2.6, Therefore, as you've received Christ as Lord, so walk in him. So remember that he is the one that calmed the seas. He is the one that, that says, uh, peace be still into our lives as well. You know, I had a dream when I was a kid that, I mean, I was like, I don't know, five or six years old. And part of that dream, uh, I'm, I was being led by, by Jesus in that dream. And uh, I walked, it was really in my backyard, right? And like one of my little adventures. And I walked into this clearing, and in, in the dream, this wild animal comes like flying out at me. And my instinct in the dream was I, I reached down to grab some little weapon, which, you know, in the dream was like some little, uh, I don't know, Lego sword or something like that. But Jesus, in the dream, just said, peace be still. And everything was calm. And, uh, and, and it's, a, it's a kid's dream and, and, and all that. But, you know, it's, it was a picture for me that... Uh, you know, my inclinations versus the reality of recognizing who Jesus is in my life. What I'm apt to do, what I'm given to do, where I'm apt to turn, and yet then see him calm this in front of me and be reminded all over again to ask this question that deepens my faith. Like, Lord, who are you? Who is this that just speaks in the situation is calm and, and taken care of? So Jesus is the author of creation, uh, and our lives are part of that creation. When something's broke, we go to the one who made it. When uh, we don't know how to, how to make something work, we, we check the manufacturer. Our lives are broken, and we often don't understand what to do. And he is the author. He is the, the author of all creation. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. 
But Jesus is the author of creation, the image of the firstborn from the beginning. He's also the author of the church. And there's a, there's a story about a, a family sitting down to dinner, and they, uh, they were having ham this particular time, and as they went to eat, the, the husband just looks over at the wife and says, you know, honey, like we, I've never asked this question, but why, why is it, it just dawned on me, why, why is it that we always cut off the end of our ham, the, the end of their ham, they always had, had cut off the end of it, and she thought about it, and she said, you know, I, I don't really know. Um, and probably the typical guy is thinking, like, man, I could probably eat that. You know, and, and she's like, I have no idea. So let me ask my mom, because that's the way she always did it. So she later on asks her mom, like, why, mom, why did, why did you always cut the end of the ham off? And she's like, oh, honey, I, I, honestly, I, I don't know. Let me ask your grandma. And she asks her grandma. And grandma looks at her. Uh, and she says, uh, well, honey, you know, I, I don't know why you did it, but my oven was only that big, you know? <laughs> so we, we do things and sometimes forget why, we, why we, this is a practice, why we do it, right? And why, why do we meet here together like this? Uh, why, why did we meet together as a church? Jesus is the author of the church. He gave birth to the church. He, he gave us this. He brought us together. He brought the Colossians together. Where he tells them later in, in the book, neither Jew nor Greek, Scythian, slave nor free, like all these different people. He brought them together into a unity of love, all flowing from the same head. They are part of the same body. He gave, he gave us the church. That's why we do it. And when we, when we don't do it, we're walking away from the head, Right? So why do, why do we do this? We, we forget. And I'm, I just want to point us to, you know, I think of Acts, uh, the, the early church. It says that they met together daily, and they were seeing people, daily those who were coming to know Christ, right? They, and uh, Hebrews warns us not to forsake the assembling together of believers, how some are in the habit of doing. And uh, it, it just isn't our choice to grow up and make this like the main point of our lives. Not just this, right? I think like uh, we knew the Great Awakening where Wesley would ask the question, can someone be saved outside the walls of the church? And they began to go out and see like incredible things done and people coming to Christ outside. But that, that our lives here, that, that this continues throughout the week. That we don't neglect this on Sunday and we don't neglect this on other meeting times, but is this like the, I don't know, the lifeblood of your life? church life, and, and sometimes that means sacrificing some things that compete with that, not all the time, but sometimes, you know, can we, can we admit to ourselves that sometimes that that is a choice, that is a reality, that is this going to be like the, the, a focus of our life? Verse 118, he is the head of the body, the church, and he is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he himself will come to have first place in everything. Jesus is the head of the body. He warned that some are not holding fast to the, to the head. Literally, as I mentioned earlier, that the, the ligaments, the word, the word there is ligaments, the footnote says bonds. Right? It's, it's, are we bonded to the head? Um, 
And I think of, I think of people, examples of being bound throughout this, this book in Colossians. Epaphras, one who like nearly died giving his life like for, for serving people for the gospel, serving the church, that people would come to know the gospel. Serving his, his church, his people. Uh, I think of, uh, it, it mentions this, this man, Tychicus, as a, a bondservant of the Lord. Paul ends his letter in a, in a curious statement saying, remember my bonds, right? And I just wonder if part of what is, he's saying there is not just his physical bonds, but who he's bound to. Regardless, we know why he's bound. And he reminds us that the perfect bond of, of unity in the body is love flowing from the head. And there's all this language throughout this, this book about the head and the body and this being the body. So this, the, the church, Jesus is the author of this. So when you, maybe you're frustrated with your brother and sister in Christ or something in church isn't going as you, you think it is. Remember, this is his bride. Don't forsake the gathering together of believers. That if you have a problem with his, his bride, I, I mean... How, did, how would the groom react to that, right? I mean, we, we're, to, we're to love one another and love this. So Jesus is the, uh, the uh, author of all creation. He's the author of the church. And he's the redeemer. The redeemer of the church and all creation. Um, you know, my, my dad had some interesting ways of disciplining us growing up. Uh, he, uh, he would have us, oh, for one example, we'd, when we were at odds with each other, he'd have me and my brother say, come and stand next to each other. And he's like, all right, now give each other a hug. I don't want to give a hug. Give each other a hug. All right. Now say you love each other. Dad, I love you. Now say it like you mean it. <laughs> I love you. Now don't you feel better? No. <laughs> you know, maybe that was or wasn't effective, but there's some, some good teaching in that, I guess. But Colossians tells us that, for it was the Father's good pleasure for all the fullness to dwell in him and through him to reconcile all things to himself, having made peace through the blood of his cross, through him, I say, whether things in heaven or on earth, that this was a real reconciliation, a, a true and complete reconciliation that he provides. And, uh, you know, it's, it's easy to miss our, our, our need for this, right? Just like me and my brother didn't really recognize our need to, to be reconciled, totally like that. But I, I remember, so I went to uh, the hospital for a heart uh, defect that, that I had that had come back up and was creating problems. I didn't know it fully at the time. And when I'm in there getting the EKG done, uh, I almost got sent home. They, they didn't see anything. And I, we pressed it to stay a little longer. And then it popped up on, on the EKG. And so I ended up staying and having surgery and everything. But it was that close to going home with 30% ejection fraction, 30% heart function. And, and if we're not careful, we could miss our need for this reconciliation, this full and complete reconciliation, that, you know, 
We're not just dirty, but we're dead apart from Christ. And, and I don't want anyone to leave here not missing it, right? And it's easy to do because, you know, the, the doctors, we, we trust. The people in our, our, that are in authority in our life, we trust. And when they say, hey, you're, you're okay, you're fine, you're, you're good. And you can walk away and go about your life and think about it. But I, I, I want you to see that apart from Christ, Jesus tells, I mean, the Bible tells us that we are dead in our trespasses and sin. That we're at odds with a holy and perfect God. If, if God's presence is perfect and holy, how on earth how, how could I ever be in that presence? There's got to be a, a way for me to be reconciled to him. And Jesus is the redeemer of the church and all creation. All creation groans with the effects, the consequence of sin, of taking those wrong I, I, ideas. And Jesus is the complete redeemer. Um, you know, I, we, I think they've been quoted in here before, but there's such timeless and great quotes. Malcolm Muggeridge, the depravity of man is at once the most empirically verifiable reality, but at the same time, the most intellectually resisted fact. Or, or G.K. Chesterton responding to a post question in a newspaper. He, he says, uh, the, the question says, what, what is wrong with the world? And G.K. Chesterton responded in just a one line, dear sir, I am. Sincerely, G.K. Chesterton. But can we recognize our need our need for reconciliation to God. All of creation, and us part of it, groans with the need for redemption. The Old Testament sacrificial system was a shadow, a pattern, a limited earthly copy. Jesus is the substance, the body. These competing worldviews that were, the, the Colossians were being confronted with and we were being confronted with are not the answer. It's Jesus and Jesus alone as the, the image of the invisible God the firstborn over all creation, the only one who, as Romans tell us, who could lay down his life for us, shedding his blood on the cross so that we might come to have a relationship with him. Jesus, and this is the final point, and I'll come to a close here. Jesus is the redeemer, not just of all creation and the church, but more pointedly, of your and my life. And this is the point where... I, we might tune out, right? That Okay, we're in a telemarketer culture, okay? We're in a skeptical culture. We don't believe anything or anybody. I got called by a telemarketer this last week, and I was on the phone with my friend uh, Scott over here, and, uh, and I saw, like, oh, a call from Australia. Like, hey, man, like, I've never talked to anyone from Australia before. I've got to take this. And he says, all right, call me back. Let me know how it goes. I'm like, hey, how's it going? And, and he says, uh, uh, I'm, I am calling uh, uh, to speak to you. I'm from Microsoft, and I'm calling about your, uh, your Windows uh, hacking. And I said, oh, man, thank you. Thank you so much, man. And, uh, you know, and he goes, are you near your computer? And I said, uh, actually, yeah. Yeah, I'm like right across from it. Let me get over here. Oh, and while I'm on my way here, you know what else I'm right by is this book here. That's, and you're giving to me, helping me out. Let me, can I just share something with you that is just uh, awesome and um, uh, it wasn't this book. I'm sorry. It wasn't that, that good. <laughs> I picked up uh, the, I had uh, Where the Sidewalk Ends, this little children's poem book. And I said, can I read you something? And he's like, oh, yeah, yeah. That'd, that'd be, uh, or he's like, what, oh, what are you talking about? And I'm like, ah, oh, this, this one, you ever just read something that just like, hits you? Like, yeah, you know, it's awesome. And uh, he's like, oh, no, I'm here calling about. So I'm, I want to tell you about the Brontosaurus song. Uh, this one says, uh, 
if I had a brontosaurus, if I had a brontosaurus, I'd name him Morris or Horus. Unless my brontosaurus had brontosauri, and then I'd change his name to Lori. And he's like, I don't know what you're talking about. I'm talking about the brontosaurus, man, the dinosaurs. And he hung up on me. But we get, we get this nonsense like all, all the time, right? And people trying to take advantage of us. And so when someone comes and tells us that we're accountable to something and there is something wrong and we really need to deal with it, you know, it took me forever to actually go to the hospital to see if there was something wrong. I mean, it's a miracle I actually stayed, right? To see that there was something wrong. Because one, I didn't believe it. I thought it would go away. And I wanted it to go away. I just wanted to ignore it. People give us lies all the time. I've, I've talked to former believers of, of, of like Jehovah's Witnesses and other cults and, and just hear them now just totally skeptical of absolutely everything because they've been burned. And I, and I want you to know, I'm going to hold up my Ebenezer that Christ has changed everything in my life. And he can do the same in yours. Verse 21 and 22, And though you were formerly alienated, unhostile in mind, engaged in evil deeds, yet he has now reconciled you in his fleshly blood through death in order to present you before him holy and blameless beyond reproach. If you continue, verse 23, in the faith firmly established and steadfast, not moved away from the hope of the gospel that you have heard, which is proclaimed in all creation under heaven, which I, Paul, was made a minister. Now, I'm, I'm just as a, a quick note, this isn't saying that you can lose your salvation if you've received your salvation, but it's just pointing out the, the reality of it, that if, if you are living like, if this is the consistency and the endurance in your life, you know, then you're, you're proving the reality that you have been saved. And just quickly to that 1 John 2.19, you know, it says, they went out from us, speaking of the, the Antichrist and those that, that walked away from the faith. They went out from us, but they were not really of us. For if they had been of us, they wouldn't have remained with us, but they went out so that it would be shown that they all are not of us. So is, are you part of the formerly... Or are you part of the not yet? Are you still alienated apart from Christ? Or are you part of the believers that you formerly, and it's just being encouraged to walk and not to be distracted and pulled away? Both have a response this morning. And I'll just close with uh, the words of Paul and then, then the one last little piece of a, of a poem from John Milton that is one of my just absolute favorites. So Paul writes, as I mentioned earlier, I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. Remember my imprisonment. Remember my bonds. How he is bonds to the head. How he lived his life out for the gospel. As uh, uh, Lydia shared this morning that, you know, he considered, that while he was in Philippians, he says, I could depart and be with Christ. It would be far better. But for your sake, I'm going to continue to be a servant serving him for your faith and growth. Remember Paul's bonds. And as you consider, if you are 
you were formerly alienated or if you're still alienated from Christ and whatever you're in right now. I'll just close with, and we'll pray, with uh, uh, John Milton giving a, a poetic rendition of what, what the fall must have, might have been like and when uh, Adam and Eve sinned and were now outside of God's presence, outside the Garden of Eden, they came to this realization. The realization was, what better can we do than prostrate fall before him reverent and there confess? Humbly our faults and pardon beg with our sighs the air frequenting and our tears watering the ground out of hearts contrite and humiliation meek. If that's you this morning, don't wait. Make it right with him. Talk to someone. In your name, we, in him, let's, let's pray. <laughs> Father, it is, uh, it is my heart's desire that any who are alienated from you, Father, would find that reconciliation that you offer us made possible through, through Christ, through the work of the image of the invisible God, the firstborn who owns all creation and so can restore all creation. Lord, uh, I pray that those of us who are, are formerly alienated, who have been following and in this life are, are facing temptations and struggles that would lead us away, Father, I, I pray that your word would, would hold us bound to, to the head which is Christ, that you would prevent us from falling prey to, to these uh, uh, false gospels, apathy, sensuality front, confronting us from every turn, Lord, but that we would be yours and yours alone, faithfully following you as long as we, we are walking in the flesh, Lord, in this life that we would be a service for your kingdom to the lives of others around us. In your name we pray. Amen. For more information and free access to other messages, please visit us at ebcraleigh.com.